t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shower curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. It's me, D.B. Spitzer, and uh, this fellow over here. That's that's Farmer Dave. Farmer Dave, how the heck is it going? It is going well. 
fact, we're finishing up digging the well, so it is almost well and done. No, no chuds. No chuds. We are, we are like we have had uh, Pinky, the local veterinarian and chud hunter, has come here and declared the property and Uncle Owen's farm 100% chud free. We put that on our cheese stickers. Oh, okay, cool, good to know. Curds, not chuds. Curds, not chuds. Curds, okay. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, um, everything's going pretty uh, pretty awesome over in my neck of the woods. I'm, I don't know, uh, 50% sure there's no chuds over in this neck of the woods, but, you know, who's to say? Uh, 50% less chuds is actually an improvement. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about that. Um, yeah, no, everything's going pretty okay. Everyone's kind of um, half, I don't want to say half masked, but like there's the things that people are masking up for and the people that things aren't masking up for. And in a small area, it's kind of weird. It's like you see people unmasked in their yards and then you see people masked up like a block later, uh, you know, getting their coffee uh, over at, um, that that coffee booth guy? Speedos? I, yeah, Speedos. Yeah, I haven't been over there forever. I've just been making my own coffee. And it's 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 just kind of jarring sometimes just to be like, turn a corner and it's like everyone's masked up. And then anyway, enough of that. What's going on in your world, Dave? What's, what's how's, well, how's like it up said, on we, the farm? We finished the, we finished the well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we have a very specific time, you know, that we, we mate the, the goats. And so, you know, we have a very specific goat baby season. Uh-huh. But we have chickens and ducks on the property. And, you know, everybody's heard Ralph. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, the ducks have babies. And, and, you know, we lose a lot of baby ducks, you know, or baby chickens from, the, from uh, skunks uh-huh. and, and, you know, things that are out there. Yeah. But I haven't really been that successful. You know, we do have sort of a, we have this huge sort of metal horse trough. Uh-huh. And, and that, you know, filled full of, you know, uh, you know chicken scratch and, and put water and heat there. But I have not been that successful keeping the baby chickens or the, you know, the baby ducks alive as sometimes the mothers do. And so we're walking around, you know, we're the guys were, were digging the, the well, and the mama duck will, if it thinks that something's a threat to the babies, it'll try to get its attention or it'll attack. But, you know, the new guys are there. They, oh, look, baby ducks. You know, they, they didn't mean to, but they were they're scaring the ducks. Yeah. And who comes down there with this big old chest up popped up? It, it's Ralph, and he's like, you know, He's acting like, these are my baby chicks. Don't mess with them. <laughs> they're, they're ducks. So he, he sort of adopted all the baby ducks. Oh, wow. That's fun. You know, he's acting like their father. But, yeah. you know, it is Oleander. So he, maybe it is the world's first chicken ducks. I guess we could call them Chucks. Chucks. Chucks or Dickens. Or... Dickens, yeah. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. Maybe some of them are Chucks and some of them are Dickens. And together you have Chuck Dickens. Maybe the guys are Chucks and the, the, the hands are Dickens. Or... <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? It's Oleander. It's, you know, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. It, it, <laughs> did, did, did you hear him? 
No, no, I didn't. He, he was, he, he, uh, yeah, uh, Ralph suggested that he was scaring the cat off. Okay. Hey, so, um, speaking of scares, uh, what do we got on the board for scares this week? So we've got a lot of things, but we've got actually an amazing interview. Ooh, uh, with a person who knows a lot of scary things, yeah. but is not scary, and well, that good. is Sean Branny. Oh, and cool. he is the uh, one of the co-founders of the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. Very neat. And they've got a new project coming out. They're always doing stuff. Sure. But they're going to have a... Dark Adventure Radio Theater is what Dave means to say right here. Based on the Lovecraft and Hazelhead story, uh, The Thing in the Museum. Ooh. That's, oh, goodness. I'm like, that's not Rand Teagoth, is that? Or is that, oh, I always mix them up. There's there's certain, like, Wax Museum, uh, Museum. So, so I, and it's the horror of the museum. It's one with uh, the mummy. Oh, okay. A thing, but... Because we're also going to be, well, we'll be talking about a bunch of other things, <laughs> but the, the horror in the museum. Okay, I, I, was, I was thinking of uh, Out of Eons uh, with uh, Hazel Heed. Uh, <laughs> yes. The ho- yeah. And that's so, Gath so and Othello. Out of Eons, but also <laughs> the horror in the museum. Okay, all right. Cool, cool, very cool. I'm excited about that. Uh, and uh, we're also talking about... Uh, Billington's Woods, or you're mostly going to be talking about that. I'll just mostly go, huh, okay, wow. Um, And then we're both going to be talking about bowls and doles. Uh, I was thinking of the mummy, but uh, it, it's the uh, dimensional shambler that's in the uh, horror in the museum. Ooh, oh. Well, so we're, we're we're talking about Billington Woods and uh, the Billingtons. We really got to kind of first address their source material, where sure. they came from. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's uh, August Durleth, the August Durleth's Lurker at the Threshold. I think it is. Yes. Yes. And so this is often credited, and I've seen copies that are discredited, Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was vaguely written about, well, it was inspired by something that Lovecraft wrote. Yeah. Uh, and didn't continue, and he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Derelith had it, and for good or bad, he started publishing things. As a posthumous uh, collabor- collaboration, yeah, and um, so uh, the story is about fifty thousand words. Okay, and, and according to S.T. Joshi, probably one thousand five hundred of these words were written by Lovecraft. Gotcha. So about three percent of the the book is Lovecraft. 
and 97% plus is Tara. Yeah. And it's basically broken into three sections. And the first talks about um, the Billington Woods. Okay. Uh, and this part really does mirror Lovecraft describing the countryside. Mm-hmm. In fact, for a long time, people thought this was the part that Lovecraft wrote. But apparently through checking and finding what he had written and the original sources, this was Derelict doing his best to imitate Lovecraft. Yeah. And, and it's good enough. And Derelict gets a, gets a lot of crap, and he gets a lot of crap from me. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, he's not... He's not a bad writer. You know, he, 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 he's not Lovecraft. He's not a great writer. But he's not bad. I like his stuff when I can, like, sort of pull out all of his heresies. Yeah. But as a writer, he's, he's decent. And this is probably Darla at his best pistache. You know, he, he's copying Lovecraft and well enough that people for years thought maybe it really was Lovecraft. Hmm. Um, and it's probably the best part of this three-part book. Yeah. And it's sort of a continuation. Uh, I got. Uh, it's been a while since I've read, but I read. I think it, it's sort of between Arkham and Dunwich. Okay. Uh, and so, just as a moody scenery piece, it, it's good. Hmm. Um, and. You know, he sort of, and you obviously, he's taking a lot of Lovecraftian ideas. Um, and sort of the Billingtons, they to me seem sort of like a, a pale, and not necessarily a bad way, kind of an imitation uh, of John Kerwin, okay. the, the ancestor and uh, Charles Dexter Ward. And that. We, they lived way before, and they were into the occult. They were into the mythos. They were kind of taking Kerwin and taking um, oh, uh, the Watleys. Okay. Uh, in fact, so that there were the evil. They're the ones that sort of set this link up to the supernatural. Hmm. And one of the things that, that Derelict has here is is the main character finds a book called Of Evil Sorceries Done in New England of Demons in No Human Shape, hmm. which is written by Ward Phillips. Okay. We see what you did there, Derelict. Yeah. Howard uh, Phillips Lovecraft, he just cut off the how and the Lovecraft and made Ward <laughs> Phillips. We see what you're doing there. So Ward Phillips and I is sort of Daryl's version of Cotton Mather. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the real person Cotton Mather. No, just the fictional version. Okay, so Cotton Mather was a real person. There are, I think, I think there's a fictional version on a TV show called Salem. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I had to in, in high school, when junior year, we were reading American literature. 
we had to, at least at my age and my generation, we had to read some of Cotton Mather's store, uh, sermons. He wrote basically, uh, well, oh, his most famous sermon probably is uh, Spiders in the Hand of an Angry God. Okay. Which is so cosmic horror. Says, you guys are all just sinners, and God is mad at you, and you're like, you know, just like we say, you know, to we're ants to Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cotton Mather was out there saying, we uh, we are as humans, we're spiders to God. Yeah. And and so I and, and there would be no way that Lovecraft would not be familiar. Nobody in the 1920s and 1930s living in New England who had ever read a book did not know who Cotton Mather was. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wonder, you know, and, and of course Cotton Mather says, well, if God loves you, then you're okay. I wonder if, if Lovecraft sort of took that and said, well, this God doesn't have love. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he, he could be talking, when he's talking, if you take out the love parts, you know, he could be talking about Cthulhu there. Hmm. Um, but so Cotton Mather is uh, basically sort of, he believes in this very, um, he wrote a book, and I'm sure Lovecraft read, um, about the, the, the supernatural in the woods, which um, I, I can't believe, again, anybody who is writing horror in the 20s and the 30s New England had to have read Cotton Mather. Where it is this sort of war between, you know, the good and the evil, and demons and the devils are out there. And so Ward Phillips is kind of the, the Cotton Mather stand-in for um, the Cthulhu mythos. Yeah. And so he writes this this book, uh, and his is you know of the evil sorceries done in New England of demons in no human shape. And he just, uh, I think it's Richard Billington, he just rips on to him, you know, it's it's almost like a, uh, you know, a TMZ hit piece mm-hmm. about how evil he is. And, but of course, in, in this universe, it's true. Um, and, you know, I've talked about this before, but there was in uh, early 2010, there are some amazing uh, they only made four of them. Uh, you can get this in drive-through RPG. Mm-hmm. There are amazing supplements to the uh, Chaosium role-playing game um, called Cthulhu, uh, called the Arkham Gazette. And the third really goes into that book, Witchcraft in Lovecraft Country, hmm. where you know it talks about Richard uh, Billington mm-hmm. in that geographical area. For a PDF, I admit it's kind of pricey. Yeah, it's like it's a third. It's like twelve ninety nine. Okay. But you know what? The information you get for that, if you're running at any from, you know, colonial time to modern time. Yeah. Uh, Sentinel Hill Press uh, makes them. You can get. I still think you can get paper copies, or you know, get the PDF, print it yourself. Yeah. Um, but their third one, I think third was the last, was Witches and uh, Witchcraft. Amazing book. And they have done a uh, sort of an errata updating it to 7th uh, edition. 
So yeah, if you that's just a great source for anything Lovecraft Country. But when I think the best uh, on the Billington uh, uh, woods, okay. and you can definitely uh, go to um, uh, Drive Through RPG mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just put. Uh, Arkham Gazette. Ooh, okay, cool, cool. Um, I, and there's there's four, including a zero issue. Uh-huh. I think the zero issue is pay what you want, and the other three vary from uh, eight ninety nine to twelve ninety nine. Yeah. But for a decent game supplement, that's not bad. No. And this is incredibly. I mean, there is it. Every line is packed with something. Nice. That if you can't use it in your game, you can use it in your, your Lovecraft knowledge. And it's not like the stuff that are, you know, sold all over. Sure. You can really, if your players aren't listening to this, you can something completely out of left field that is so mythos compatible. Just, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is mythos. But it, it, it's new to them. Okay. I, I recall uh, Chaosium having a book on uh, Arkham that, that had a bit of Billington's Woods in it, but I could be mistaken. I think you're probably right. I thought that it was in, I actually thought it was in the Dunwich book. Mm, and could it be, wasn't. Could be. Yeah. And then I just, I was going to go look at the Arkham book, but I got so caught up on this, I thought this was so good that yeah. I, I, I did, I got lazy to go, go look at the Chaosium uh, canon there. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I was looking through what books I have in the studio right now. Uh, most of my RPG books, unfortunately, are in another state, and I need to go get them at some point in time. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I recall in one of the Chaosium books about regions, and it's it, it was, it was uh, definitely kind of like it was either the Arkham one. I was thinking it was the Arkham or the Dunwich one. If you say it's not the Dunwich one, then it's definitely probably the Arkham one. And I'm like, it's not Lovecraft Country because that's more scenario based. And it's, yeah. Anyway, I'm sure. I'm sure it's probably the Arkham book. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, it's not my Miskatonic Valley because that's also scenario based as well. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. So, what about the Billingtons themselves? Well, so they are basically, I think a lot, I mean, they are sort of Joseph Cohen. Mm-hmm. They are the wizard. Uh, they uh, combine Native American teachings with that colonial magic and yeah. witchcraft. And, and, and Lovecraft would get bored of his bad guys. Cthulhu really only appears in one story. Yeah. But witches appear quite often. Mm-hmm. And, and the most common, I think ghouls are like second most common, but, but witches are the most common sort of antagonist. And, yeah. and we think of the witches as, you know, either Sabrina the Teenage Witch or, you know, the, women, uh, you know, the pointy hat, especially, uh, you know, Salem, mm-hmm. but there's this also this very uh, masculine on the surface cultured rich genteel male witch that pops up in a lot of Lovecraft stories, mm-hmm. including things like uh, you know horror at Red Hook, and, and these are sort of a they're they're an embodiment of this sort of. Lovecraftian concept of a 
this rich male witch. And just throwing this out for future writers or role-playing games, I believe they disappear. I think they escape. Uh, in fact, their Indian servant returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, so they're still out there. Yeah. Uh, they're still out there if you want to maybe write a story about them. Good to know. All right. So uh, up next, we've got doles, bowls, and cathoans, uh, and why they are or are not all the same thing. So D&D on D&D and everything else. Here we go. But first, but first, we have an interview. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be Sean Branny? Branny, Sean Branny. As he says, uh, the way, way to remember his name is his granny Franny pronounced it Branny. Good to know. Good to know. All right. So, yeah, interview and then bowls, doles, and all that stuff. Okay. And I'm really excited about our our, uh, our most recent guest, and this is Sean Branny. And uh, he is with the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. Uh, Sean, can you maybe tell our audience a little bit about you and what the society does? Sure. Uh, <laughs> it may surprise some people to, to learn, but the the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society is an actual society. Uh, we are the world's largest organization of Lovecraft fans, uh, and we have members of the society scattered across the globe, I think, in almost 45 countries now from South Tasmania to Northern Finland and everywhere in between. Uh, and in addition to being a sort of virtual gathering place for Lovecraft fans, uh, the HPLHS is also a producer of Lovecraftian entertainments. Uh, over the years, we've done a lot of different projects from uh, motion pictures and gaming prop sets and radio plays and audio books and Innsmouth Sea Shanties and a whole variety of different types of uh, expressions of our love uh, for the works of, of Lovecraft. And we've had a lot of fun with it over the years. And our goal is really just to, to try and share the fun we've been having with uh, other folks who are out there. Excellent. Now, now, of course, I've got to ask here, have you ever had like an active member in Antarctica? Oh, we certainly have. We we don't have anybody who's permanently stationed there, but one of the products that we make is a, 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 a heavy-duty hoodie, uh, which has the logo of the Miskatonic University Geology Department and their 1930 Antarctic expedition uh, emblazoned on the back. And we've had, I think now, five different people who have gotten that hoodie and sent us back photos of them wearing it in Antarctica. So uh, our, our folks do make it down there. Uh, there are a lot of Lovecraft fans who are involved in the sciences, and that tends to be what takes folks down there. But I think a couple have gone as tourists as well. Excellent. Now, I had heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the Lovecraft Historical Society started as a, a role-playing group, game group. Is that an urban legend, or is that true? <laughs> no, it's... Uh, it's, it's shrouded in myth and legend, but it is indeed true. Um, my my colleague Andrew Lehman and I have been at this for a, a very long time. Uh, we we met uh, back when we were high school kids in Colorado in the 1980s, and one of my friends had given me. The, we played games like Dungeons and Dragons and things uh, back in the early 80s, and this pal of mine gave me this game with the really weird name, Call of Cthulhu. 
And I finally got around to checking it out. And I was like, well, well, this seems like fun. Uh, and so I happened to uh, invite this kid, Andy Lehman, uh, over to my house with a couple other friends uh, to play this game with the funky name. And we just had a blast. It really, you know, where the sort of kill kill the monster and steal its treasure and pillage the dungeon kind of thing, the novelty of that wore off pretty fast with D&D sure. for us. But with Call of Cthulhu, where everything was shrouded in, you know, mysteries and investigations and trying to get to the bottom of something and whatever was at the bottom was incredibly horrible, uh, just really sparked our imagination. And being theater guys, we... It didn't take very long before we were like, well, this is really fun, but, you know, it'd be more fun is if we went and put some costumes on and went out and, you know, hid clues in graveyards and went out and started doing this kind of stuff in the real world. And, you know, this was back before <laughs> the idea of a LARP had ever, you know, was ever out and about. This is before the Internet and things. So we basically just created our own system for live action Lovecraftian role playing games, uh, which we called Cthulhu Lives. And we started staging these games. And at first, you know, we'd uh, borrow, you know, a neighbor's basement and a graveyard and do something in a park and meet at a Chinese restaurant and things like that. But over the years, we became increasingly uh, ambitious in the scope of our games to where we were actually, you know, playing in boats on the ocean and inside the British Museum and uh, out in Death Valley and you know, uh, Andrew rented a herd of horses and built a Native American village. So the the games became these larger and, and more ambitious undertakings and got to the point where really they were as demanding to put on as making a small film. We just didn't have to deal with lights or a camera. And because we were having so much fun with it, we wanted to share the experience with a wider audience. We thought, well, hmm, maybe we should actually get lights and a camera and start uh, filming some things. And that was the time where we started really kind of then drifting away from having a focus in gaming and moving into a focus in uh, Lovecraftian entertainment. And that's really, you know, overall, if, if I were to give you a short phrase that describes what we do, we are the Lovecraft entertainment guys. So we've... Uh, done the Lovecraftian Broadway musical and, you know, CDs of Lovecraftian Christmas carols and, like I said, some some movies and radio plays and all kinds of other stuff to uh, manifest what we do. And uh, we, we have, we're based out here in uh, Los Angeles. We have a brick and mortars headquarters. Uh, we've had uh, a physical operation here for, for many years now. And it's a full-time job for uh, Andrew and I, and we have a couple part-time employees who work with us, and we get to work with, uh, you know, cool Lovecraftian artists and other folks in the the Cthulhu business all over the world, and it's a pretty sweet gig. Excellent. And so, you know, as a game master who finds it very hard to get five guys together twice a month to play cyberpunk, I'm yeah. jealous. <laughs> you know, that that is one of the, the perennial challenges was, you know, as we got older and, you know, got married and had lives and uh, families and all that, it, it's certainly the, the challenge of creating enough time to do the things you want to do always remains uh, an issue. And that was one of the things we, we also found about, uh, you know, um, 
moving away from the live action gaming is you can at least make a movie once and it sticks around and people can watch it whenever it's convenient for them instead of going, oh, no, you need to be in the graveyard, you know, at 12.15 a.m. on Thursday or you'll miss it, you know. Yeah. That and if you ever need a goat farm for a setting, you Excellent. now know who to call. Excellent. Where, where is your goat farm? So uh, about 25 miles outside of Portland, Oregon. Okay. So All if right. you need if you need some goat or farm animal recordings, you can just hit us up. Cool. Do you have one of those black goats? So so people we're actually pretty big in Poland because people listen to this because they think it's a goat show. Um, <laughs> awesome. We actually have a real but so no we our goats are Nubians. Oh Nubians. Are the, the, They're the ones with big ears, right? Exactly. Yep. Welcome right. to well, Goat if you have Hour black with goats with Sean. a thousand young, that that might work well. But you know, we we can adapt and learn to deal with a Nubian goat with poor young or something. Sure. Yeah. So uh, before I get too carried away with goats, uh, what are some of? I mean, you've talked about this that the brilliant. I think most people know you for is the Call of Cthulhu. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your version of Call of Cthulhu? Sure. One of the the things we found fun with the world of Lovecraft is, you know, he, he was virtually unknown uh, outside of a very small circle of people during his own lifetime. But we've always found it sort of fun to imagine that what if instead of being a, an obscure Rhode Island writer, Lovecraft actually was, uh, you know, a famous writer during the 1920s. And what might it have been like if the folks in Hollywood came to him and said, Mr. Lovecraft, we want to make your Call of Cthulhu into a movie. Uh, so we thought, you know, The Call of Cthulhu was written in 1926, and we wondered what it would have been like if it had been made into a motion picture at that point in time. So we adapted The Call of Cthulhu as a 1920s silent film um, and tried to shoot it as much as possible in the way the films of that era were set. So we were literally, you know, working with smoke and mirrors and, and shooting it in the style of a 1920s silent film. And as a result, you know, there's no spoken dialogue in The Call of Cthulhu. You read title cards, and there's a fantastic orchestral score that uh, that goes behind the whole movie. But it, it gives a very different kind of experience. And I think there's something in the, the sort of uh, the aesthetic, which isn't attempting to be realistic. It's not saying this is real. This is saying, you know, let's experience the story through uh, – well, through the uh, lens is <laughs> when you're making a motion picture, I guess lens is the, the only lens, way. To, yeah. But but through the lens of, of how it would have been seen at the time. So there's a lot of uh, some of the filmmaking styles of German expressionism come up in Call of Cthulhu because we really thought some of the films of the period really are aesthetically well suited to absolutely the world that Lovecraft is creating with his language. We wanted to, to try and create imagery that would also evoke that same feeling. Absolutely, and it really is a beautiful film. And if you're a Lovecraft fan, it's it's an absolute have to. But even if you're just casual or you like film, I think it's a good movie. A good movie, even if you don't know who Lovecraft is. Well, thanks. We we appreciate that, and you know that's one of the the other things. You know, we we tried to do with a lot of our 
adaptations is uh, Lovecraft's written words are just not everybody's cup of tea. You know, they're, his, his prose style is, is dense and thick and demanding and not everyone necessarily enjoys it. But a lot of people do enjoy the worlds he's creating. Um, and so sometimes by moving his stories out of one media into another, you can have a whole new experience without uh, necessarily having the original prose that inspired the story in the first place. Absolutely. And now you do a series of radio-like shows, correct? Yeah, we had done Lovecraft with with uh, a picture and no words. So uh, not too long after we did Call of Cthulhu, we thought, well, hmm, wouldn't following with that idea of what if uh, Lovecraft was popular back in his day, what if we adapted it? in the style of an early radio theater piece. So we took Lovecraft's at the mountains of madness and produced it as a radio show. So it's got all the vocals and sound effects and original music, but no picture. And like, I, I think one of the things that's helped make call of Cthulhu uh, successful with viewers is in taking away the spoken word it stimulates your imagination. Your brain fills in everything that's missing, the, all the spoken dialogue. And the same thing happens with a radio play. In taking away the imagery and just presenting an audioscape, your imagination comes in and fills you know, your brain with the, the pictures that come to mind for you. And a lot of times, those pictures are really, really quite powerful uh, and make for a very satisfying experience. So... We discovered uh, that you know we didn't know if we'd be able to find an audience for a uh, a Lovecraftian audio drama, but lo and behold, here it's uh, now what's it 14 years later. Uh, we just yeah. released our 25th title in the series, uh, and the Lovecraftian audio dramas are the most popular thing that we do. So uh, so go figure. Yeah. Now, I grew up not too far from where you are, about 60 miles, and I actually grew up on a boat. Mm. And so when I was a young child, my young sister, my dad, at 9 o'clock, we'd turn off the TV. Everyone go into their bunks, get ready for school. And my dad would turn on the local L.A. station, the good broadcast news station. And at 9, we would listen to, as we lay in bed, get ready to go to sleep, these classic um, – Radio shows, uh, The Green Hornet, The Phantom, you know, uh, Lights Out. And, and I just grew up loving those. You know, that was sort of the, the you know, that was just sort of the th family bonding. We're go, you know, everybody go, go to bed, you know, we just lay out in our bunks. And so I love that. But are you finding that there's a, a larger market outside of people who grew up on boats and live on goat farms? Yeah. <laughs> we we have uh, you know it, it I, I love the stories uh, we've had some uh, a few fans have written in and told us about intergenerational listening where they've had you know one of the grandparents there who remembered hearing the old the old serials while they were still being broadcast in the 40s and 50s and then the adult Lovecraft fan and then sharing it with their kids. Um, which, you know, the fortunately Lovecraftian horror, you know, it really does play on the imagination. Uh, but we find lots of parents have kids who who totally dig, you know, hearing these shows. And particularly with younger audiences are so used to just being bombarded, particularly with imagery, 
but you know, with imagery and sound from from video games and and you know, just a video centric life, that when you suddenly take away the picture, this becomes a really novel form of entertainment uh, to listen to. And kids are like, "Wow, this is this crazy new thing that somebody thought up." And it's like, "Yeah, somebody <laughs> somebody thought it up almost a century ago." Yeah. Uh, uh, although I have, I have to tell you, my my favorite. Dark Adventure listening story um, came to us from a, a serviceman. It's been on my mind recently uh, with all that's been going on in Afghanistan. And this was back in 2011, May 2012. And he wrote to us from a forward operating base in Helmand province in Afghanistan. And these guys were our troops who were closest physically to the Taliban positions. Yeah. You know, they're 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 the end of the road as far as the U.S. went, and at those guys for the, at those bases, when the sun went down, they had to live through their nights in complete pitch black because if they had even you know so much as a cigarette lighter going, it would show uh, snipers where to shoot, and so they really hated the nighttime. And this guy had gotten a copy of our Dunwich Horror and talked about him and his whole squad of soldiers gathering around a laptop, you know, to listen to this story under this incredible, you know, the skies there, you know, or you can see the Milky Way, you know, lit with stars. And uh, they're all hearing for the first time the terrible story of Wilbur Waitley and what he's up to. And uh, they were so gracious in writing to us to thank them for their experience. Well, that's just that's a ama- that's an amazing yeah. story. Yeah, you know, and it's like if in any small way we could make that experience better for them, hey, we're you know happy to do it. So it was a it was a very cool thing to imagine those guys over there in the uh, under the dark skies, gathering around the old Philco. You know, suddenly it's it's back to World War Two. You know. Yeah, no, and no way to take away from that great story. But I don't know if you heard it, but Ralph gave it his approval. Oh, did he? Good. I don't know if you saw the but Ralph the Rooster just went out when you were telling that about. And I, I and I, I don't speak Rooster, but uh, I can tell that was a that was a pretty positive endorsement from from our uh, our uh, our local uh, registered rooster there. So excellent. Well, the only only rooster I ever had was a very ill-tempered creature. So I'm glad that they Ralph all are like a much more civilized sort of fellow. Yeah, he is, those roosters. So you guys got a new one coming out, right? Yeah, we just started shipping uh, day before yesterday. Uh, Our latest adaptation is uh, Lovecraft's The Horror in the Museum. Which Which I love. That's an amazing story. Yeah, that he did with uh, Hazel Held. And uh, so we dramatized it and we recorded it uh, a little bit earlier this summer and Got the music all done and got the sound effects all in and got the CDs mastered and uh, we just started shipping those out to folks. And by, it'll probably be about oh, about a week and a half or so or uh, that we'll be uh, broadcasting this show. But let's say, and we'll have some things in the uh, show notes, but let's say our listeners are interested and want to get a copy. Uh, how could they do that? You know, the, the best way to find us, uh, we have a, a big and thorough website. Uh, if you Google up Lovecraft Historical, we'll come up first, and that's probably the easiest way to find us. Or you, if you can remember the letters, hplhs.org. 
Uh, that's us, the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. Um, so we have uh, a big site, and then connected to our site is a store full of uh, all kinds of Lovecraftian oddities that we've either made ourselves or uh, have found and uh, try and keep in stock to keep Lovecraft fans ha- happy. So uh, the Horror in the Museum is over there, as well as uh, all the radio plays and audio books and all the other uh, crazy stuff we've made over the years. Excellent. And I will make sure that we've got some... Uh... Uh, some in our show notes, well, some links to where uh, where our listeners can can go and get some if they don't know where. Now, okay. I have been fortunate enough to see a couple of live performances at the uh, Lovecraft Film Festival. I know we're all sort of not sure what's going on with uh, with Delta right now, but are you guys hoping to be able to present some more live shows uh, in the future? Yeah, we've we've done live shows up at the Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland. Uh, we've done some at uh, the Necronomicons uh, that are held. Well, they used to be held in odd numbered years in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, it it is a challenge and a, a thrill to go do those things live because it's a it's a whole lot of talking. Um, I bet. You know, we're used to in the recorded ones, you know, we work in a studio and if a line isn't perfect, we go back and do it again. And we have the luxury of lots of time and uh, time to get the Foley right and time to get the music right. And uh, when we do the live shows, everything's done on the fly uh, by a little bit by the seat of our pants. And it's uh, it's a thrill, but it's also really fun. You know, as I was saying, when we started, Andrew Lehman and my background is as theater guys. So we've, mm. uh, you know, we've been doing live theater throughout our lives. And it's fun in the Lovecraft arena to be able to to blend that in with theater and uh you know, do a show live for a, a house full of people up there in, in Portland's great. So, yeah, I, I don't quite know what the plan is for this year. So uh, yeah. who knows on that front? But uh, certainly down the road, I anticipate that uh, we'll continue to uh, put on some more live events for uh, audiences of Lovecraftians here and there. And, and for those of you who have have, you know, the recordings and listen to the recordings, I would still encourage you, if you could, to hear the live because the closest I could explain it to is, you know, your favorite songs, you know, in concert, live <laughs> in concert. So, yeah, there is sort of that that serendipity and sort of, I imagine, sort of maybe butterflies for you guys. But in the same way that I love hearing some of my favorite music live, that's why I feel about listening to you guys live. Yeah, I think one of the great challenges in doing this type of material live is that, you know, typically most dark adventure shows have at least 12 actors in them. These days, a lot of them have 15, 16 actors in them. And so when we do them live, there's typically four, sometimes five. Uh, so we're all doubling up and playing lots of different parts in the same show. And uh, that's that's part of the sort of <laughs> manic fun of uh, doing it before a live audience is... Uh, uh, you know that kind of winging it and and just seeing how it all comes out. No, no, I, like I said, I, the, the the couple that I've seen were just uh, amazing. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. So, um, realizing you've probably got some things that you want to maybe uh, uh, keep close to the vest, but is there anything that you can tell us about uh, coming up in the future that we can look forward to? Yeah, uh, there's a couple things I can talk about. So. Um, I said we just released the horror in the museum this week. That that's getting out there, and we are just about to record our next dark adventure show. Should be 
recorded during the month of September. Uh, it's something new and experimental. It's a bit of a departure for us. Uh, we, we haven't announced the title. If I did announce the title, it wouldn't mean anything to you anyway. So, um, so, 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 so it's not one of the well-known Lovecraftian titles. Yeah, uh, this is a fully original Lovecraft-inspired tale. Yeah, awesome. Uh, but awesome. yeah, this is not an adaptation of an existing work. So, uh, so that's coming, and that's a big new, complicated uh, kind of thing that we'll be talking. Beautiful about. headache. I'm sorry. Uh, is it a beautiful headache? It is a beautiful headache. It's a whole new set of challenges. You know, we've like I said we're 14 years of making the Dark Adventure shows. We we pretty well got it down to a system now, and uh, every every show has its challenges, but it's usually pretty much the same process. This thing, well, a typical Dark Adventure show script is around 75 pages. This thing's script is I think 425 pages. Um, it's, yeah, it's much longer. It's, it's more complicated in a whole variety of ways. So, so it's been a good way for us to keep on our toes and not, uh, get complacent with the brand. So, um, flex your creative muscles. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. They're feeling very flexed at the moment. So, um, one other thing, uh, that we've got coming out, uh, for this fall, um, if, if, uh, your uh, Call of Cthulhu keeper, you might be familiar with our gamer prop set that we did for uh, the big mass of Nyarlathotep cam- campaign. Y- yes. So uh, Chaosium uh, did a Kickstarter this year for their 40th anniversary of Call of Cthulhu, where they're bringing back and republishing a whole bunch of the the scenarios from their very first years from back in the 1980s. And we are doing a deluxe prop set for that. Uh, with all the newspaper clippings and all the handouts, and it's uh, another big old box of fun um, in the same style of our massive Nyarlathotep. So uh, we don't have a release date on that yet, but uh, we're shooting to have that ready uh, for the holidays uh, of this year if we can. So, so let's say hypothetically, I have all the original ones. Yeah, can I still use your props in my original books? You can, yeah. You wouldn't necessarily need to uh, to get involved with the Kickstarter at all if you had the books. It's just a number of those titles have been out of print for a while. Um, but yeah, they're. Uh, yeah, I, I've been collecting books for quite a while. Ah, well, excellent. Yeah, so we uh, and in fact, we actually we have all the old books back from the '80s as well here, and that's what we were using as we were, you know, writing the uh, the content for the props and starting to design the set was actually working off our old physical copies um, that we have around here. Well, that is very exciting. Yeah, it's a, and it's a, there's a lot of props in it. It's a hundred and, well, I don't think we've actually set the final, final count, but it's, it's in the low hundred uh, kind of region. So a lot of fun stuff. There's a lot of great newspaper uh, props in there. And we've also tried to take some of the, you know, some of those scenarios were written back in the very early days of writing stuff for Call of Cthulhu, and I think some of the writers had not yet fully imagined the power a good prop could have. Uh, yeah. So, so we've tried to make them a little more realistic and and improve them where needed and keep them where where not as is where not needed um, uh, to make what I think will really be a fun set for people. So. Well, I'm I'm definitely excited. 
And we're, we're about running out of time, but I've just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this and would love to have you on the show again. Well, it's been a pleasure to be on and uh, chat with you, and uh, we appreciate your sharing the word about the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. Well, thank you. And you, uh, again, listeners, you can uh, find all the information you need uh, in our uh, in our show notes. All right. Well, thanks so much, David, and uh, please give my best to Ralph. Uh, I will. Hi, I'm Rob Poynton from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This month's bandwidth is brought to you by Psychedelic Water. Legal psychedelics suspended in green tea, and then put inside of a can for you. Psychedelic water. Who needs a Tillinghast resonator when you've got psychedelic water? Are you a curvy girl? Do you know a curvy girl? You love a curvy girl. Check out the show links for curvy girl. Plus size clothing for plus size women. Size up ladies. Pretty good stuff. I think I've got a, I've got a thickness for the thickness and I have to recommend curvy girl. Alright. Also, Clary. Fine find student instruments beginners instruments if you want to modify a guitar check out glary if you want to get into guitars if you love guitars glary things from another world it's a store that has art it has toys it has comics graphic novels it is the place if you like that kind of stuff. Dave and I have talked about it in the show before. They were ever a sponsor. Dave likes to check out their stuff. I like to check out their stuff. They're pretty cool. Toys, art, graphic design, not graphic design, graphic novels for you. Things from another world. Check out the show notes. Uh, check out the links on, on our website, PGTTCM. We've got specific stuff there to let you know what they've got going on for specials. Thank you again so much. Did you know that there is a THC derivative that's legal called Delta-8? Not to be confused with the Delta variant, but Delta-8. Yeah. Uh, You can get it in chewable form, and it's sold at 
what, what, what's what's Golden Goat CBD, one of our sponsors? Yeah, you can get some Delta 8, and you can also pick up some CBD chewables gummies. They've got smokables for the Delta 8, and they've got all kinds of stuff for CBD, and they can help you out. Uh, check the show notes, Golden Goat. And while you're in the show notes, hey, do you know about Donner? Donner has so many amazing musical instruments from all kinds, mandolins, banjos, they've got drums, they've got amplifiers, they've got guitars, they've got all kinds of stuff, and they ship worldwide. Check out Donner. I think you're going to like it, and I think Donner's going to have a good deal for you. So I, I love their electric guitars. A lot of the music that I perform for the show is either on one brand or it's on a Donner. So check out Donner. And check out some savings. All right. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. It's D&D on D&D, COC, and whatever RPG we can think of. So this week we're talking about bowls and doles and Cathoans, if I'm saying that right. Uh, Dave, that was a good interview, Dave. Uh, that, that, wow, I'm, I'm impressed. That was, that was pretty fun. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot more good stuff coming from them. I can tip a lot of stuff, but they're always... A Lovecraft Historical Society is always producing new stuff. I've been a huge fan for a number of years, number of years. So yeah, no. Uh, Card carrying member. Check check out check out their stuff, and uh, we'll have a link in the show notes for sure, and also in the show notes uh, where to find T-shirts, how to get stickers, how to find the sponsors that we talk about in the show notes or uh, in the. Uh, ad parts. Uh, also, um, how to help support the show, where to find us on social media so that you can rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. And hey, let's have some D&D on D&D. Okay. Bowls and doles and Cathoans. What's the difference between a bowl and a dole? As far as I know, they are this assuming we're talking about Lovecraftian bowls and mm-hmm, dolls, mm-hmm. because because um, you know you know what the difference between a bowl and a doll in real world? <laughs> What's that? One of them is a little bush dog, and the other is what you eat your cereal out of. <laughs> For those who don't get that, which is ninety nine percent of people who hear my jokes, there is actually a a Indian or an African bush dog mm-hmm. called Dole mm-hmm. and cereal bowls get it get yep, it yep. okay I totally got it totally got it we, I think we hit our dad jokes for the day oh cool cool all right I can but in the, 
in Lovecraftian and role-playing terms, the only difference that I know of, and we'll probably get a whole bunch of writers say, well, actually, it, uh, <laughs> is that bulls live in the dreamland and dolls do not. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, bulls live in one of my favorite places in the dreamlands, the Vale of Panath, where all the ghouls hang out and go eek and ook and run around and hang out in their cool ruins and occasionally crawl up through the dreamlands and appear in The Outsider. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, what? Uh, wh- where do dolls live in not the dreamlands? Because that's something I keep thinking of. It's like, where, where, where are dolls even? It's like, I don't even know where I would uh, have dolls in an adventure. So... And I think that they're kind I'm this is vaguely and this is where we're gonna get another because mm-hmm. I'm just top again off the top of my head. Sure. But I thought uh, that dolls were kind of like the creature that destroys the earth or it's gonna be a major thing that they're like the major like destroying the earth yeah. in some prophecy, but I'm Maybe correct, incorrect there. Okay. Um, so um, I imagine them as sort of, um, sort of tremor-esque, mm-hmm. living underneath uh, the land. Yeah. And so you got, so you got the dolls, and and it, you pronounce it probably better than I do. It's the Carthians, or what do we? Cathelans. Cathelans. And then you've got, and I think it's Fritz Lieber who wrote The Terrors Below. Yeah. And I've always thought that that The Terrors Below were um, uh, Cthulians, but again, uh, call Cthulhu the gang, marks them as two different creatures. Yeah, yeah. So we've got this whole sort of maybe related, maybe not. Yeah. Um, uh, sort of subterranean creatures, and, and that's that's one thing again that Lovecraft is, is this creatures come up from the ground. Even the ones that come from space usually bury into the ground and yeah. they come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I something I keep thinking about when I think about doles, because bowls we know exactly where they're at and we know where they can go. Dreamlands, we don't have to worry about them here. But uh, doles, on the other hand, kind of like. Are, are you familiar with the uh, uh, cryptid, uh, the Mongolian death worm? I have come run across an occasional Mongolian death worm in my studies, yes. All right, so... In fact, there was, and you're probably going to bring this up, sure. a rather well-financed English expedition that was out to look for them. I was not going to bring that up. I was just going to bring up the fact that they are uh, supposed to be found in a very remote, kind of treacherous part of Mongolia. And my thoughts Which are... Makes sense. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm sure that uh, doles uh, probably are found in some remote areas. Um, there's a space of land between, um, I believe, I was going to say Chad, but I think it's 
the uh, Sudan and Egypt. There's this little chunk of land that no one lives. Like uh, the Sudan doesn't want it. Egypt doesn't want it. It's just this empty area. And I'm like, you know what probably lives there? Doles. Doles. (laughs) Just this isolated area that no one wants, that every once in a while someone tries to claim, but it's like no one can. I mean, because it's so isolated from everything, it's like no one can, like, um, claim it long enough that it's even worth claiming. And I know that there's other parts of the world that are out there like that, just like places that are so remote or that they're inside of the borders but are so remote that it's just like... You know, something that you're going to find in, like, the most remote parts of Siberia or Mongolia or just other vast areas. Maybe the Badlands and the Dakotas. Or where did Tremors take place? (laughs) Uh, That was Nevada or Arizona. Yeah, yeah, just these vast places. Or I can imagine, like, in Tremors 3 or 4 or 5 or whatever, it's like some remote area in Mexico or South America. Just, like... You know, I I don't think they're, you know, definitely stuck on one continent, uh, but definitely, oh man, they're, they're, they're in remote places and you could definitely in your next RPG, just, I don't know, maybe somewhere in, I don't know, I was going to say not in the mountains or something like that, but uh, maybe like have a bunch of people doing like an archaeological dig in Utah. Death <laughs> or, Valley. Or Death Valley. Death Valley, that'd be a cool one. Or maybe some like remote area in Oklahoma um, or Texas. Or, you know, just, just like big, flat, open, deserty areas. Uh, and let the fun commence. Uh, there's, I, I feel like you can do a lot with doles, but also at the same time, you can't do a ton with doles because you have to have kind of a, a limited playing area. You can't like be like doles on a boat. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking, you know, when you were talking about that, that you could like maybe have like an expedition to the, the Marianas Trench. Oh. You know, the deepest in, in the world. And so... Humans are very limited because, you know, they get out of their little bathosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, that might be hard to run. But, you know, if a doll can s- surround the, you know, the pressures and the heat of, uh, you know, uh, underground, a little salt water ain't going to bother them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. No. I mean, I always just assume Mariana's Trench is full of shoggoths, but. <laughs> well, there, there's that, too. There might be doles down there, too. Yeah. Uh, what what ideas besides that do you have for doles? Possibly, how would you use doles in a campaign? Well, uh, I, again, I think doles are sort of the they're underused, mm-hmm. um, and when they are used, they're kind of used as sort of a big worm. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea of, of uh, Mongolian or the purple Mongolian death worm mm-hmm. being a uh, a dole. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, like the idea. So even, so you're absolutely right. You think of sort of these rural areas, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the tremors below took place in, you know, the thirties, forties, Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, you could use like a causing earthquakes. Sinkholes. Like, you know, 
interfering. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I was thinking, like, this guy has stolen maybe this Native American artifact. Uh-huh. And, and he's escaped to Las Vegas. Ooh. And, and all of a sudden, the, the so you find out you're chased by, you know, two two forces, you know, trying to get it back. And one of them is the Dole, and the other maybe are cultists and, or, or maybe ghouls or something. And they're not good. Yeah. But their point is they want the artifact to take away the Dole from this huge city. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, no, no. I, 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 I'm thinking, like, the best ways that I can, I personally can ever think to use Doles is either in a Tremors-type situation or, like, say you put a bunch of people out in South Africa and they're hunting stuff. And what was that movie with the lions? I know we've referenced it before. The Ghost and the Darkness. Ghost in the Darkness. Sounds like it should be a Lovecraft movie. It's about lions. <laughs> but, Which, if I ever get two cats, I'm naming them The Ghost and The Darkness. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a story about uh, a bunch of hunters that get killed by a bunch of lions is the spoiler alert just the basic premise of it it's a lot more drawn out than that you know you get to know people and then they kill them with lions is basically what it comes down to and i feel like you could do that with doles but you know mislead stuff like um don't make it look like dole killings maybe uh you know just throw in some red herrings with poachers or something and then you start having doles or Cathoans if you want to do that. And D- Dave, do you think that maybe Cathoans and doles are just like maybe possibly um, same branch of the evolutionary chain? It's, I don't know, maybe Cathoans are just a little bit more influenced by uh, the Cthulhu mythos and doles are just like domestic, you know, or, or, or related, related, and, and and so they kind of, uh, they kind of the Cathoans because you know they have Shuttle Mall, mm-hmm. yeah, which is a, like their god, yeah, but it's kind of like the way Dagon is a god, yeah, and there's a lot of different, so that's why I say you got you know the Tremors below, you got the Dulls, and you got um, um, you know the Cathoans. So they could all be some sort of related or inhabitant because there's a lot of other fish monsters mm-hmm. that we kind of that are not quite deep ones but are. Yeah. So absolutely you could have them in the same adventure or campaign. Maybe Cathoans are uh, just uh, doles who have chosen to worship Shadamau, who is. I don't know, some sort of mythos-loving worm god. <laughs> I don't know. Just some ideas I'd throw it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, one thing we ought to also probably sure. mention, that Lovecraft didn't create the word dull. No, he did not. Um, that uh, Arthur Meckham uses it in his stories, but he never says what they are. And he spells it a little differently. Okay. Uh, he spells, I think, D-O-M-L-A-T, L-E oh, okay. or something, yeah. uh, without the H. But I thought, um, you know, but so, um, yeah, so he he um, created the creature, but he never says what it is. Yeah. And 
I don't think we ever wrote down, but I think that's where Lovecraft was inspired for the name. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. No, that's, that's, seems like Lovecraft uh, took stuff from Durleth and, uh, not Durleth, uh, Mackin. Uh, Blackwood. <laughs> Blackwood. Stuff that was just oh. kind of like half mentioned and was like, you know what? I bet I could make something. I, I, if, if I slightly fleshed it out. <laughs> uh, same thing with, uh, yeah, like, like with, um, well, it didn't really flesh it out, but he uses, you know, Hostor, mm-hmm. even though he didn't create Hostor. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. It's very true. So game wise, I got basically two suggestions where people want to do some sort of subterranean creature. You bet. What's that? You got two options. Sure. You either go to them or they go to you. <laughs> so, so they're either coming up to the surface uh-huh. or your characters are going and exploring some underground cave or something. Ooh. In fact, I think I, there's a new Russian horror movie. I don't, I forgot what its name. I, uh, maybe Subterranean. That the about about the deep uh, mining mm-hmm. that is comes up with some creature. Oh, so wow. yeah, you're gonna either it's gonna either come up to you or you're gonna go to it. Yeah. And or or both. You know, it could be two adventures. Oh, wow, we escaped and we locked all the dolls. You know. And then two or three adventures back later, you find there's weird tracks. Yeah, no. Yeah, I like those ideas. Yeah, you could always do the whole, uh, this only happens in this area. Every thousand years, they come to the surface and, and you know, hunt. Or they come to the surface and... Uh, go to a site and look at a certain star that's in the sky, and then they go back down. But while they're up on above, you know, they're going to hunt. Yeah, you can do all kinds of stuff like that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, I can't think of anything else to talk about with Bulls, Doles, Billingtons, or Sean Branny. So... Uh, I think we have... I think we have exhausted that both... Or all of the uh, all of the above. All right. Well, oh, hey, um, if anyone's listening to it this Thursday, uh, September eighth and 9th is when I'm going to drop this episode. Hopefully, uh, we are going. Wh- where are we going to be this weekend, Dave? So we are be depending on changes. Yeah. We will be at Rose City Comic Con. Rose City Comic Con uh, on on Friday. At two, we will be talking about Star Wars. Whoa. Stranger than you think. Yes. And then Sunday at 11, it's going to be talking about Joseph Campbell, the monomyth, in writing science fiction and fantasy. Um, do you want to check the exact times and the exact rooms? Because there's things have been moved around, but they're going to make it... As COVID unfriendly as possible, there will be masks and not just Batman and Spider-Man masks, as well as uh, social distancing. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's uh, you know we miss things like this, and we understand people have got health conditions, you know, mm-hmm. or concerns. We, we get that completely, but uh, we're trying to get back to a little bit normal. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun to be out. Uh, I'll be double masked. I'll be there. I, I generally don't even like to go outside, so I'm making a super exception to uh, 
Rose City Comic Con because Rose City Comic Con is it's 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 the I think it's the Comic Con that I grew up with, but it I, I may be mistaken. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, everyone, thank you again so much for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We've been your hosts, Farmer Dave and me, I'm DB. We'll see you next time. Dave, say goodbye to these fine people so we can get on with our awesome day. Don't let the dolls get you. Where the good Lord split you. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Show notes. Check them out. That's where you're going to find sponsors and guests and T-shirts and stickers and high fives and where to find us and we'll see you at rose city comic-con this saturday september whatever all right thanks everyone we'll see you later